What's up, Pude Nation? I am Groot, a.k.a. Braden Guthrie of Bengals underscore NFL with my partner, Blake Jude of tailgate.bangles, two of the best Bengals fan pages on Instagram. Follow us if you haven't, but I'm pretty sure you are if you're listening to this. Thank you so much for joining us, and we, we want to start off this episode with something sad, something that you already know and sold news by now, but we're still going to talk about it. Jonah Williams likely out for the year after he had surgery to repair a torn labrum uh before we talk about how this affects the whole offensive line let's talk about what it means for Williams specifically he's going to miss the whole year and and he was somebody who was supposed to come in and start at left tackle right away and if you look at the history of rookies missing their first year it's kind of 50-50 how they do afterwards and uh, how do you think this injury is going to affect Jonah Williams going into the future well, originally scouting Jonah Williams, I kind of saw him as uh, arguably the most polished and uh, most NFL-ready tackle. So, if anything, I think that at least out of all the tackles that would have gotten drafted, I think that he has the best chance of coming back and still being effective immediately. Um, however, it's never good to have a torn labrum, especially, but it is in the shoulder. Um, at least it's, I mean, it's still awful, but it, I think at least with the, what I've heard from the injury, I think it's still possible he can come back and still be at least somewhat effective, maybe even just how he was before. Um, and overall, I'm comfortable with Jonah over other guys. Like if Jawan Taylor would have been hurt, it would have been a much different story. Um, but, you know, Jonah Williams is already polished. He's already proven he can come back, play his game, and I think he immediately improves the line. I think I think there's a lot he has to do wrong in order for him to come back and you know not at least make the line a lot better. Yeah. When you look at a lot of the raw offensive linemen who get hurt early on, a great example of Cedric Boy, a guy who wasn't who had no technique when he came into the league, him missing time early on killed him. And look at Jonah. The biggest thing for him when he comes back is getting up the play speed. So next year when he comes back, he'll probably be a little rusty, probably have some catching up. But it's not like he's losing technique skills. He has all the technique and fundamental stuff that he needs to be successful, which is now getting up to speed for next year. So I don't think this injury really kills him long-term. And regardless, I think, uh, I think for the most part, this kind of, it, the worst part about it is it kind of halts development. You know, Jonah could go and suddenly be an all pro next year. But I think now that chance is much more depleted. And now I think next year he's going to look more like what he would be as a rookie. Which is, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's awful. I think he'd still be a terrific rookie uh, tackle. Um, however, it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be still a pretty distant difference in how good he was going to be a second year compared to his first year. Uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, I think that it's, you know, Jonah is going to still be just as fine. I think he's going to develop the exact same, but I think he's going to have more of a William Jackson effect. First year back from William Jackson, he acted a lot like a rookie, felt a lot like a rookie. Second year, he comes in, and he was amazing. I feel like it's going to be a very, very similar situation to that. Yeah, so I think we're just going to see a slowdown, a little pause in his development, but I think he's fine. I don't think this injury makes him bust now. Let's talk about the effect of the offensive line. So it's basically a known fact that Cordy Glenn's going to move back to left tackle, and when you think about it, looking at this from an optimistic view, 
when Glenn is healthy, he is a pretty darn good left tackle. You can make an argument top 10 left tackle and 100% healthy. And when a health, I think a healthy Glenn is better than a rookie Jonah Williams. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, and I like the conversation we had a couple of a uh, couple of days ago, uh, saying that you know this is more of a win now mode lineup now that Jonah's gone. Jonah's, I mean, Jonah is of course polished, like I just mentioned. However, I definitely think currently, and if healthy, Cordy Glenn is the better tackle, and I think it's fairly obvious to say he's a veteran. He's more polished on the game. He's more seasoned. He he knows how the NFL works. Um, so I think he isn't immediately a better guard. And what this does is this opens up uh, left guard, which Courtney Glenn is not as experienced in, and something that we had a lot more questions marks going into the season about. Now I think it gives us a lot more chance to see someone such as Christian Westerman, who was, has played terrific every, time, every single time he's played left guard. Maybe him get a chance at there. Uh, maybe another uh, seasoned uh, veteran, John Jerry. Uh, someone else. I think this is more of a more of a veteran uh well-seasoned group of uh, O-linemen now um, and something that if I if the Bengals were trying to win now and trying to immediately make the playoffs this move would make a lot more sense yeah for sure and you know of course when we're talking about how this line can be better we're talking about when Glenn is healthy because when he starts to get banged up and just when you look at his past few years and the Bengals injury situation he's Going to get banged up eventually this year. But when he's healthy, and let's say Christian Westerman, I think we all want him to get the starting gig. And let's just say he comes in, he plays like we've seen, he plays consistent. Then I think you can look at this O line, at least short term, as an upgrade to what it was or what it was supposed to be. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that the biggest issue, however, coming into this now is the fact that the, the backup swing tackle spot is now wide open. A lot of question marks there. A lot of the, a lot of most of our O line, I'd say like ninety nine percent of it, is uh, are basically guards. I mean, you got Michael Jordan, uh, Billy Price can play guard. Uh, you know, Trey Hopkins, uh, Alex Redman, who's coming off of suspension, um, Christian Westerman. I don't know if I already said his name, <laughs> but uh, several guys that um, are all guards. But they they're not as experienced a tackle. You can argue Trey Hopkins might be able to play a little bit of right tackle. Bobby Hart is probably our most, what would you what would you call it, most constant player that's on the field the most out of all the O linemen, which kind of sucks. Might be. So with the loss of Cordy Glenn, there's going to be a huge gap in left tackle if if he were to get injured again. And I the fact that we signed John Jerry and instead of him playing him at left tackle as a backup, we're trying to see if he can compete for left guard. I'm not very comfortable with that because we're trading out a tackle for a guard whenever we're already stacked on guards and already low on tackle. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And you know, something I wonder is we were both told a few weeks ago that Trey Hopkins is getting some reps at right tackle. He also played some left tackle a few preseasons ago. I, I wonder if Bengals maybe view him kind of that first guy off the bench. You're like, okay, you're our next tackle in, or somebody gets hurt. We need you immediately in. But because of this, we're not going to start you because we need you ready to play when something goes wrong. So I was in my first offensive line projections, I had Trey Hopkins starting out left guard, but I think there is a scenario where the Bengals are like, okay, you're a swing tackle. We need you ready and fresh on the bench. As soon as something goes wrong, we need you to go in because it's bound to happen. 
Yeah, I think personally, uh, looking at the O line situations right now, I think it's, it's certainly possible that Cordy Glenn or Cordy Glenn, uh, Trey Hopkins is that guy that they want to keep healthy on the sidelines. And as soon as one guy goes out, no matter what position it is, he feels in because he's played guard. His main position is guard. He played center last year was so terrific, and he's already or not terrific, but he was solid enough. He looked better than Billy Price. Yes, yeah, he, he the team was better whenever he was center. Um, and then, you know, left tackle, he played for a little bit in his career. Was I would, I would call it below average, but still, I think he's Didn't definitely taken a lot taken, of snaps. Yeah, true. And he's also taken a lot of steps, I think, in these last couple of years, in my opinion. Um, so I think that he's going to be that guy that they're going to try to fall back on uh, in case someone gets hurt. They they have to think that with all the press injuries um, that someone's going to get hurt. And I think they trust Hopkins to be that guy to immediately fill in whatever position that is. Now, I think what this does mean, as you said, I think Hopkins does not play or start at least at left guard. Um, I think this is definitely why they were playing John Jerry and Christian Westman with the first team reps. Um, I think it's going to be between one of those two guys. Yeah, let's talk about that because the first time when we needed a left guard to fill and it was when Jonah was healthy and Cordy Glenn wasn't at practice. Trey Hopkins was the first guy at left guard, but after Jonah out for a year and then moved Cordy left tackle, Christian Westerman was the first person to go in at left guard, then Jerry after. But I think the fact that Hopkins wasn't the first person to go in, in that scenario because the Bengals know Williams was out for the, or they probably had an idea that Williams was seriously injured. They probably knew, well, we need to find a new left guard now. It, while when Courtney mispracticed, you're like, okay, this is a situation where something goes wrong and we need Hopkins to fill in. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what this shows is, is the Bengals are desperate for depth, but they didn't really see any tackles on, on the uh, free agency list, at least, that they were comfortable with or knew enough about to actually sign. Um, so it kind of felt like a panic move to me. Like I said, I'm not exactly sure why they would put John Jerry at guard and take Hopkins away from his natural position and move him to tackle again. I know, like I said, he's already played there before, but like I said, he was below average, and he's, he, he didn't play a lot, like you said. Uh, so he, he, he I really don't know if Hopkins is going to, be a super effective left tackle, but then again, I don't know if you can get much worse than Bobby Hart right tackles. So. Yeah, so no, let's talk about who might be the starting left guard. It's because about a month ago, it looked like the Bengals were pushing Westerman out the door, especially when they signed John Jerry. But when you kind of step back, step back and take a look at it, yeah, the Bengals re-signed Trey Hopkins with that second round tender, but they clearly value him. They trust him to be that reliable guy that doesn't necessarily mean starter signing John Miller meant Miller's our starting right guard they view Westerman as a left guard so that really doesn't affect him Jonah Williams is a left tackle then Glenn the left guard I don't think the Bengals originally wanted I don't think the plan was for Westerman to start but now it's kind of gone out the door and they signed Jerry after Williams got hurt so maybe they weren't pushing him out the door and we were just all kind of assuming stuff because we like Westerman we don't see Westerman get chances yeah exactly and what I've heard at least from the staff or not from my sources at least is that and I'm assuming they're the same is that he really doesn't have the mindset that they're looking for on the team however I think as long as he's playing the best on the field I really don't see how you can you know not at least give him a chance right yeah Um, I think the Bengals have to be less picky yeah and I think I think signing John Jerry 
is purely for competition. I think they want to make sure Westerman has what it takes to start. And if not, you know, you have a comfortable veteran sitting right behind him that is perfect for the for the spot. Uh, but I definitely think Christian Westerman definitely has much more talent, much more potential, and I think will overall could improve this line. I mean, looking into a couple years or maybe last year, I think people. Many people are considering him at the second half of the season as the second best uh, O lineman on the team, with uh, bowling being the best. Uh, Westerman came in as we were obviously tanking and not worrying about the rest of our games, and he was terrific. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I was had no complaints, no really much issues. He was he was playing very very well. Not not too flashy, but I mean, it's it's a guard. It's not really going to be really flashy anyways. Yeah. As if it's uh, Quint Nelson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but uh, yeah, no, he was playing. I mean, he made everyone, you know, pretty happy and comfortable, and everyone started thinking, like, why is this guy not never on the field? He kind of yeah. deserves to be here. Yeah, and I think he only had one bad snap in the games he played, and that was on the two-point conversion against the Chargers. He got beat on a pass move that was supposed to be a quick throw, but Driscoll held on to the ball, and somebody else got beat, but Westerman was blamed for the two point conversion sack but that was really the only problem that happened and I mean when you're a young guy who barely plays that's bound to happen and that was going to make or break of the game anyways in reality so I mean I see it as I mean <laughs> Westerman was hardly making any mistakes he made one two-point conversion while you're looking at a comfortable guy sitting there right now Bobby Hart who has no competition at all no issues who committed Stacks on. I mean, I bet you he committed a penalty every five minutes. You know, so I, that's just how I see it. And it just blows my mind. Like, why are the Bengals so confident in Hart? Like, they've already kind of gone against the Bengals fan base about how they view him and how they trust him. Like, they're. I think they're starting to sell a lot of Bengals fans that he can be this good right tackle. But I'm still not sold. I mean, he has not shown me anything, and he has not proven to me that he can be a reliable tackle. And until he does it, I just can't buy into what the Bengals are saying. If if Bobby Hart wasn't the starting right tackle since before Jonah got hurt, I wouldn't have much of an issue because it would have made sense that he would have to fill in at right tackle if you know if Jonah got hurt anyways. Uh, but the fact that the fact that he was still like they were going to move Cordy Glenn before they would move him that that's what gets me right there. And I realize Bowling's hurt, and I realize they had a huge gap at left guard. But what they're basically showing is that they have more trust in Bobby Hart at right tackle than they do a guy like Christian Rosemary at left guard. And I have an issue with that because I feel like the the difference in play is so extraordinarily different. And the fact that the only the only good thing Bobby Hart has done for this team is stay on the field. He stayed on the field no matter what. And I'm not trying to nut Bobby Hart. I appreciate what he's done, and I feel like he, got, he has a great mindset. But his, I mean, there's no denying that his talent level and his overall ability to play is a step down from everyone else on the roster. And I just have an issue with them signing him to, I wouldn't call it a lucrative deal because there are a lot of incentives. Uh, it looks a lot, it looks very ugly on paper. But with the incentives, it looks a little bit better. But the fact that they're giving him this deal three years, um, 21 mil with, uh, with incentives and sticking him a right tackle and having no, not one person to actually give him competition, even with a newly, uh, a newly, a new rookie left tackle and about in a very good, well-seasoned left tackle and Cordy Glenn, I have a huge issue with. Yeah, I, I, 
think the Bengals front office just doesn't know how to deal with offensive linemen. We saw with Whitworth, he Whitworth just wanted a few more million dollars, and he stays here in Cincinnati. But according to Troy Blackburn, he just wasn't worth that. What do you know? Whitworth has some of the best seasons of his career in LA. Let go is Eitler, which I mean, when you look at how much he got paid, it's understandable, and it would have been fine if they kept Whitworth. But you know how they replace Zeitler? They play Hopkins, who I mean. He's fine. He's a fine center, as we said, but he's not a very good guard. They play Cedric Oboy, who was god awful at right tackle in the prior season at left tackle, just because they spent a first round pick on him and they were trying to expand him, even though they knew he sucked. And they and we also know they screwed up with the Jake Fisher pick. Then, I mean, just how they deal with the offensive line. And something that caught my eyes: Billy Price said he was not smart last year. He's saying how much he's prove now which I kind of caught my eye because one of the things Frank Pollock and Marvin Lewis said about Billy Price last year was just how smart he was and stuff so I'm like maybe Billy Price was maybe and I think Billy Price was smart in college but it looks like the Bengals either overvalue leadership and they mistaken leadership with smartness or it's just but clearly they thought his football IQ would translate into the NFL and it did not year one. I just think the Bengals don't, didn't we see what they do with Bobby Harden stuff? And I just don't think the Bengals know how to do offensive linemen. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's kind of similar to how the general NFL fan looks at it and undervalues alignment. If you undervalue alignment, this goes for anyone that's listening, you're making a huge mistake. <laughs> you know, the alignment, if, if the alignment are, as you can tell clearly, one one battle alignment, Bobby Hart himself, can absolutely change the whole entire aspect of the game. I mean, one simple fumble, one simple sack on fourth down, one pressure that throws into an interception can turn the whole entire stride of the game. And the fact that the fact that the Bengals have looked at it and, like you said, have undervalued alignment and really just haven't exactly, you know, scouted them and you know, recognize their talents as well and use them to the best of their ability has become a huge issue. And I think it has really proved the downfall of the Bengals, at least for these last couple of seasons. And Especially when your future. quarterback is somebody who relies on good blocking. Exactly. Dalton is a guy that relies on good blocking. You saw his 2015 season with Kevin Zeitler and Andrew Whitworth, which were two all-star caliber uh, guards. He had or, uh, tackles and guards. He had a whole, he had a MVP season. He was the leading MVP until he got hurt. Right, and as soon as they go away, his protection level, pr- production level, and protection level go plummeting straight down, and you could clearly tell there was an issue. Granted, he also lost two of his uh, top wide receiver targets, but he also had Tyler Boyd. He also had a couple other uh, assets there at the time. Uh, it overall just ruined him, and uh, it really just, it, yeah, like I said, it proved the downfall of the franchise, or for the team at least for the last couple of years. Yeah, I think the Bengals started right with Jonah Williams, but it's like they didn't prepare for it to go wrong. It's already blown up in their face, which I guess is better. They have time to figure out now versus week three of the season. But, I mean, you have Bobby Hart at right tackle. You have an injury-prone left tackle, and you just don't have a backup. I mean, this is – and I don't find Trey Hopkins as a reliable backup at tackle as of now. Yeah, I think I think now that uh, Jonah Williams is gone, and the fact that we don't really have many um, many backups and uh, guys that are going to be able to 
at, at least fill in every position that we need. I mean, Trey Hopkins is mainly that guy. If anyone, if there's two starting 11 to get hurt, we're scrambling, looking for someone else. Um, so I think now we're going to be looking at a lot of uh, chip blocking from uh, maybe tight ends, uh, running backs as well, at least whenever some people go down. Uh, Drew Sample is looking a lot better now. That's exactly what I was going to get to. Drew Sample is looking like a much better pick now. Even Not though, really in my view, but in a no, sense. I, I see it. I mean, I see, I definitely think that the pick looks a lot better. I think I, I like the pick in the first place, but the fact that he's going to be a huge asset to this team now because Joe Mixon's going to need another guy to block because I feel like the O-line's going to need another guy to block. I just don't see how I could trust uh, this O-line, at least on the right side, as uh, maybe even the left side now that um, everything's getting scrambled uh, blocking-wise. So I think it's going to be huge, um, Drew Sample at least. Uh, maybe even a guy like Travion Williams coming in with a high-energy boost, um, getting a nice chip block for someone or, until Dalton have more time to pat, make a throw. It's going to be very, very important now. And I think that um, Zach Taylor's new offensive schemes need to be creative, at least with the blocking types. And uh, hopefully that maybe I would imagine the Bengals would go for more quick throws now that Jonah Williams is gone and uh, plays like that. I do think the the fact that we're going to run a lot of play action will kind of hide some Bobby Hart struggles and maybe some of whoever left guard struggles and depending on the situation. I think it's kind of sad that for Drew Sample to be looked at as a good pick now for resulting Williams being injured is kind of sad. I'm still not thrilled with the pick. I do like Sample, but uh, I still don't think Sample plays over 50% of the snaps. I think that he's probably using 12 person now, which we might see a little more now with the new offensive line, but I still don't think it's going to, we're still going to be in 11 personnel majority of the time. I, but we will see a little more sample now, though, which, I mean, is kind of good, I guess, in a way, because I do want to see him. But he's going to mostly be used as run, kind of as a blocker first, then second. But something like in kind of those play actions, I think that's when you might see sample. He might kind of stay on the line for a second, chip, maybe line next to Bobby Hart, kind of help him knock defensive and knock off his feet. Then he goes to run his route. And that uh, you took a word out of my mouth. So it's a, a very simple college play that I have really looked at and studied over the years. A play that I absolutely love to do is a play action pass or play action pass where the tight end has a chip block and runs a straight streak down the middle and right between the safeties is able to get away from catch. That's a play that I have always used and always loved to watch um, when uh, watching or playing some or Madden or something. Uh, but so. Whenever I look at Drew Sample now, I see I see Drew Sample as not really the starter, but I really don't view CJ Uzama as a starter either. So I think that Sample is definitely going to split the minutes, at least with Uzama, in my opinion. Well, Eifert sticks more to the receiver role of a tight end. Uh, he's going to line out on the outside, maybe in the slot more often. Um, so I, th- I definitely think that Sample, Sample plays a lot more with uh, Jonah Williams out now, the fact that we need the blocking abilities, and I don't really think Uzama is at, up to par with Sample in the blocking abilities. Um, and I think, especially in run plays, I think he's going to play a lot more. So I think it's certainly a possibility we see him in around, I would say, maybe 35, 40% of the snaps, pretty close to 50%. I that's, what I, that's what I have. And, uh, by the time you listen to this, you should see the post. I'm posting 
this is going to be posted on today's Monday when we're recording this. So you're going to see it's posted on Tuesday. I made an unpopular theory that involves Drew Sample not having big of a role as some people might expect. There are, and honestly, if you think about this closely, like we're kind of talking about, this shouldn't be an unpopular theory, both how Drew Sample's kind of gotten hyped up. I think Bengals are expecting a big receiving year from him. Now he's going to play about, I would say at best 45% of the snaps and which he will be used as Blake said, more as a run blocker, but you will see the chip and run routes, but also he, that could be to help open something up. There's, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but yeah, as we just talked about, I do see that chip block down the seam types action happening with sample. And if I'm being honest, I, I'm not really looking at Sample. I'm not really wanting Sample to be a guy that's playing seven, 75, 65% of the snaps. Anyways, uh, I think it, I think it's certainly all right to see a rookie tight end like Sample, who is still raw in some areas and can improve, especially in the in, in the receiving abilities. Uh, I definitely think it's nice for him to get a little bit of the uh, of the uh, plays um, set under his wing, get used to the offense. Uh, don't don't throw him out here and make him be the tight end one and make him play all these snaps immediately and be a big part, big factor of this team. You know, ease him in, ease him in. And so I don't have an issue with him playing this amount. I still like the pick regardless, and I think what he brings in whenever he's eased in like this is still going to be huge for the team. Yeah, that's fair, and we'll see how he's. I think he's a guy who gets two, maybe three catches a game, just just based off the role he will he'll be using. But you have guys like Green and Boyd out there. Hopefully, they're the ones getting your main catches. Then, assuming Eifert's healthy, he'll get some. So our offense is still loaded. So yeah, I mean, if it he gets on Andy, if he gets two or three catches a game and goes for thirty yards. I'm looking at that and then the blocking that he's going to add to the team. And, I mean, that's a terrific rookie season for the amount of snaps he's going to be playing. I don't really have much of an issue with that. Now, I don't know if he's going to catch two or three passes for 30 yards a game. But I think if he just has those little, you know, those little catches, maybe for a first down, maybe for a couple of yards whenever we need it, uh, play us. I mean, he needs to play a small role. We have Uzama, who I've always considered to be more of a second backup, uh, but or a, a main backup. But, um but I think he's almost fine uh, playing the role he is right now. I think Eifer, of course, if he stays healthy, which it's unlikely he will, but I think that Eifer is a terrific tight end when healthy and that he can add a terrific catching ability to the team. Um, I think that Sample isn't shouldn't be forced to play. Uh, I'm repeating myself, but you know what I mean. Uh, I think Sample, even when he's not playing as much as he is, I think he can still be a huge factor. Yeah. Now, speaking of... Drew Sample, it's kind of in his role, it's kind of getting into rookie roles. What's, I mean, Drew Sample's obviously going to have a role. I think another rookie this kind of comes as an obvious who have a bigger role is Jermaine Pratt. Uh, it's interesting. I've kind of shown my, I guess, aired my questions about PFF, and they came out with an interesting grade with Preston Brown, who they said was had an 81.9 or 81.3 great in coverage, which is the ninth best for linebackers. And I just kind of blew my head. I kind of, and I went back and watched some games and I just don't see where Preston was that good in coverage. I mean, versus the Colts, he had that good interception on Andrew Luck, but 
for the rest of the games, and anytime the Bengals were in nickel, he really struggled. His second interception was literally given to him by Jameis Winston, which I still kind of laugh because I'm still trying to figure out who Winston was thrown to. But, <laughs> but I, mean, I, just, that... I, mean, uh, I don't see where Preston has ever been that good in coverage. He's never been that good in coverage in Buffalo. I mean, he did have a couple of pass breakups, but he's not a guy who, as far as I'm concerned, is reliable in coverage. And I wouldn't really call the uh, injured luck throw to be perfect right on the dot either. You know, I mean, both of his interceptions weren't perfect throws. And, I mean, it was still a great play on the ball, uh, but it wasn't, you know, a perfect throw. I think if, if Luck threw that a little farther to the left and maybe a little bit harder, um, you know, that wouldn't have it's been just close. Yeah, it was just tipped, exactly. So, um, yeah, the way I see it, I, I mean, I, I definitely have a difference with PFF, and I think what Pratt will bring to this team is immediate pass coverage uh, improvements. Like you said, I have no idea why people are considering Preston Brown to be a fantastic pass coverage guy. He is, I would say, definitely mediocre at best, maybe. I think he definitely lives off of uh, stopping the run or getting tackles over the middle. That's more of his game, and I think he should stick to that. Yeah, I mean, I think he can get away with some zone coverage stuff if it's, like, in front of him and it's not a great athlete. It's, like, maybe a slow tight end or a kind of a more run between the tackles type running back he's covering. But you don't want him in man coverage, and you want pride in man coverage. And I think the Bengals want to be more in man coverage on defense. Yeah, exactly. And then there's another uh, rookie since we're on the topic that I think – could have a pretty big impact, and that's um, I'm looking at uh, defensive tackle Rennell Wren, who is very, very raw, not very polished. But I still think that with the uncertainty, we were talking about, and we were talking about this, um, uh, I think maybe t- a day or two ago, with the uncertainty of how our tackles are going to be, defensive tackles gonna, are going to be with Andrew Billings coming off a, a solid season, not spectacular, but a solid season, and Ryan Glasgow coming back from an ACL injury. It could be interesting to see if Rennell Wren will be implemented into the defense, Andy, and maybe the nickel packages with Geno Atkins. Yeah, I mean, Rennell Wren's a guy who can play nose tackle and three technique. He has the size and the power and agility to play both. He has so much potential, but he wasn't – his production rate wasn't very good in college. Part of that could be just how raw he is and and playing in – such a big conference not having the technique kind of hurt him and he needs to put he's a guy who we said this on before he needs to put it together and if he puts it together he's going to be a pretty dangerous guy and Ren knows that he's on Bengals.com he kind of talked about how he needs to keep improving and he was told by Gino Atkins and Carlos Dunlap that he has all the tools he needs to get it he just needs to put it together and I couldn't agree more and I think the Bengals want to want to play him. I think they know in order for him to put it together, he needs to get some reps. So I think we'll see Ren in some base scenarios. I think we'll see him next to Geno Atkins a few times throughout the year. I don't think he's the primary guy, but I do see him getting reps. And I think I agree with you about the part that he needs to put it all together. Certainly a thing that's happened, and it necessarily hasn't really worked out for the Bengals in the past. However, I think if any position – has like the ability to put all the things together and be effective, it, it would be defensive line. We have plenty of veterans. Geno Atkins is a terrific mentor for Rennell Wren, and I can trust Geno Atkins to teach him the technique and more of the 
more of the technical way of playing football. Well, because, you know, in, mainly in college, whenever Ronaldo was used, he was relying purely on bull rush, you know, straight using power. That's it, nothing else. I think if he can learn more technique and get, you know, better at overall pass rushing, um, he could be a terrific three-tech or uh, continue to maybe learn how to stop the run better and be a terrific nose tackle. Um, I think he'd probably work a little bit better on three-tech, in my opinion. That's just how I look at it. Um, but either way, I think that, I think that, like I said, I'm comfortable with having him, with having a raw player such as Renell Wren on the defensive line other than, you know, unlike having a Malik Jefferson on the linebacker core, if that makes sense. Yeah. You have, I guess, more room for error. And even if you are kind of dumb on defensive line, if you're still getting a good bull rush, you could make that running back freeze for a second as he kind of needs to change his footwork to find a new hole, and that could help the linebackers or – it, well, versus linebacker, if you take a wrong step, you're basically fucked. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess another running back or player that could have an impact as a rookie is Trevion Williams. I think we might see him earlier in the year because, as Zach Taylor said, he wants to keep Joe Mixon healthy for the long run of the season. So, I think earlier Trevion Williams might get some – carries but then throughout the year he gets used a little less uh according i I can't remember what the source was but uh, i got this from a good friend of mine um they're looking at giovanni bernard as playing a much different role than what he has in the past and i'm interested in that i really don't know if giovanni bernard is going to be the main backup anymore uh for joe mix i think giovanni bernard is going to be another guy similar to what alex erickson was going to be in this new offense i think he's going to play some role in that um using more of a more of a receiving type role, uh, short maybe screens. Uh, I think like halfback screens might be new, something new that we're going to see. Um, if you remember, on uh, and, I can't remember pronounce his name. Is it Andre Hawkins? Um, Andre Hawkins, the very very short receiver we had in the past. Um, I think he's going to play a very very similar role to that now, possibly. And I'm looking at Trayvon Williams as possibly being the main backup behind uh, Joe Mixon, um, if, it, if if everything works out, if he plays well. If not, it might just go back to Giovanni Bernard. But Trayvon Williams is definitely a guy that has a nose for the end zone. Every time he runs it, he runs, you know, to get to the end zone. He runs, he tries to get 70 yards every single time. He tries to break out of tackles, tries to get, just, instead of working to get two, three or four yards, he's trucking to get, you know, 50. So I really like that in him. I think he could, I think he could be a terrific, uh, third down back in this league and uh, yeah I think he could play a solid role yeah and if Rodney Anderson stays healthy then he might get some carries in the beginning of the year as well he is coming off an ACL tear in college so we'll see how he picks up but I think those are the rookies that will mostly see snaps I think Sean Davis might get a few reps at base middle linebacker and yeah, I I don't see Jordan Brown really getting into the rotation much. Uh, I don't see Michael Jordan really playing. I think he's too raw to start now. And he, as we talked about on the first podcast, he's still kind of not caught up mentally, so that's going to hold him back. Uh, let's pray that Ryan Finley's not <laughs> playing sometime this season. I mean, and I know we just express our dislikeness for Finley, but if Dalton gets hurt then that absolutely means season's over. 
Right. And, I mean, at least we want to have a little bit of hope whenever the season starts. We don't want it to be absolutely destroyed <laughs> yeah. the first two games of the season. Okay. So, but what if Finley Dalton gets hurt early, Finley goes in, if we get the first overall pick and get Herbert? I mean, I wouldn't mind that, but that's a whole other <laughs> conversation for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Herbert over Tua, early. No, for sure. <laughs> that's something else we'll talk about later. Somehow, so I'm also very strong. And so I think there's not much to talk about Bengals-wise. You know what's coming out in, well, tomorrow? Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, I, I was like, I was blanking. I have no clue what you are going to say. <laughs> That's probably far from home. It's coming out soon, and by the time you're hearing this, it's probably in theaters, or you might have even seen it, depending on what type of Marvel fan you are. Uh, do you have any bold predictions about the movie? Oh, I'm so excited for this movie. I'm necessarily excited. I, I, I'm probably not going to be able to watch it until Thursday or Friday, unfortunately. Oh, but, uh, I've seen it Wednesday. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited. I think... My bold prediction is I think we get introduced to or I think we get more big Easter eggs, I guess, into the story of Miles Morales and uh, possibly having more Spider-Mans around the uh, around the uh, the world. And I think it's something I'm really, really excited and looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, they're introducing the multiverse. And it's unclear. I don't think Mysterio is actually from a different dimension or reality or whatever you want to call it. I do believe those are still a thing. I mean, it's confirmed because the Avengers created alternate timelines when they went back, but I think that happened. Mysterio finds that as an opportunity to take advantage of this. So I think he's really from Earth 616 to Earth that we are, the main MCU. He try, He frames the inter- internals to come to ours. I don't think there's actually a hole in the dimension to let this stuff happen. I, I think He's just making that up, even though there are other dimensions. And but he eventually gets busted. And uh, J.K. Simmons was seen on the premiere of Far From Home. I think he's going to be in a post-credit scene as none other than J. Jonah James. That'll be crazy. And then I think we also uh, might get a possibility in getting more hints towards the Sinister Six. I think they're definitely working on that with the Vulture at the end of. Uh, last uh, last movie of Spider-Man, uh, trying to work it up. Uh, I think we might be introduced to new heroes such as Craven the Hunter, who we haven't met yet, um, and really start getting more hints towards the big six that Spider-Man's main villains or antagonists are. And that's something that I would also really look forward to. I think it's going to be a really fun movie. I'm really excited for the comedy. I feel like Spider-Man is probably the, the most comedic uh, Marvel movies out there, and it's something that I'm really going to look forward to. It's gonna, it's gonna be a good movie. If I remember right, I'll look at it just to make sure. I'm pretty sure it got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. We'll oh wow! Want to confirm that? Bum. I should probably make sure I'm actually typing. <laughs> if it did get a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, that's that's 92. Terrific. 92. That's still it got terrific. A, it got an 8.1 on IMDb. 92% of Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is more. How fans enjoy it's not movie critics who oh I don't like the lighting here or then it got a sixty nine percent on <laughs> sixty nine metric and ninety six percent of Google users liked it. Hmm. I think it's gonna be I mean I'm I'm stoked for it. I love 
I love um, Peter Parker. I love this Peter Parker. I think Tom Holland plays terrific uh, role as Peter Parker. I like seeing the younger Spider-Man, the, the one in high school, the one that's still, uh, you know, learning how to grow up and be a big, <laughs> be a, uh, be an adult. And I love the fact, I love the, uh, the spin. And if you haven't watched Endgame, I can't believe I'm saying this now, but please don't listen to this if you haven't watched Endgame. But it's I your think, fault for not watching Endgame. Yeah, yeah, no, it is your fault. <laughs> but uh, I definitely like the uh, the new storyline, I guess you can call it, of Spider-Man really having to take the mantle of Iron Man now that he's passed away or that he died in the fight. Um, I really like that kind of switch of uh, of character for Spider-Man because we've never really seen like any of this in the comics or any of the old uh, TV shows or movies that he's had. And so it's something that's new and refreshing and something that could probably could be discovered and not really speculated on in the new movies. So that's something I'm also I uh, think is going to be really going to catch the, the audience's eyes. Yep. For sure. I'm excited. Um, I know the next, our next podcast, we're going to be talking about this movie and uh, disappointing, but Endgame has not yet beaten Avatar, still a few million short, which is disappointing. I saw the re-release. They had a nice Stan Lee tribute. Uh, the the directors once again confirmed Captain America created an alternate timeline. Uh, apparently, there's a chance Gamora disappeared, which I think they're just doing that to screw with us. Because that is inter- that is something we never actually talked about, or I didn't even think of. We didn't see what happens to Gamora after the snap. She's just gone, and people write, "Well, she did come with that 2014 army." I mean, it it wouldn't make much sense if she didn't get snapped. I, I, I that that's going to be something we're going to have to totally figure out in the next phase. Right. It depends what Iron Man was thinking. Or was he thinking? I want to. Take away everything that came from the 2014 portal. Is he thinking away take away Thanos' army? Then Gamora wasn't part of the army. It, that's something we'll have to figure out. But it took away Nebula too, didn't it? Oh, no. 2014 Nebula died, remember? Before the fight, right? Okay. Yeah. When okay. she originally took the gauntlet from Hawkeye because Hawkeye thought she was good yeah. Nebula, then. Yeah. Right, right. I forget. My fault. My fault. Yep. All your fault. <laughs> No, I think that's going to be something that they're going to definitely look into in the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and that would be really fun to watch, too. I'm really excited about Marvel. I think this new phase is going to be definitely new and refreshing. I love the new heroes that they're going to be focusing on now with Ant-Man, Black Panther, uh, Wasp, uh, Spider-Man, of course. Uh, and then we're probably going to get some new characters, such as possibly the Black Knight. Uh, what's the uh, Aquaman version of Marvel? Um, yeah, I... They teased it in any game. A very honestly, after watching the game, watching it again, it was a pretty forced Easter egg. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, the one about um, no, like near. Yeah, hold on. I'm gonna look no. it up. No, no, I know what it is. It's it's the one about Wakanda having troubles with the uh, yeah tsunamis in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, it's in it's in the ocean. We don't do anything. Right. So that'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, and apparently there's rumors of a Doctor Doom solo anti-hero movie going on to set up the Fantastic Four. What you call Doctor Doom an anti-hero? Yeah, that's what they're kind of going for. The it'd kind of be a Venom feel, except towards the end, instead of doing good stuff, he starts doing worse stuff. Okay. Or like just, just setting say- him up to be the bad guy. 
But an anti-hero story, kind of like with Breaking Bad, you're like rooting for the character even though he's doing bad stuff. It's just kind of the tone of the way the movie or show goes. So, uh, I mean, after this, we don't get another Marvel movie until May, and that's going to be a Black Widow movie. But we are getting that Disney Plus, and I think the Loki show comes out in November. Yeah, and it's going to kind of suck. It's going to be, what, probably a year until we actually see a non-prequel movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, a movie after a Endgame, I guess. And that's going to be, that's going to kind of be, you know, that's going to get me in withdrawal. So I'm going to be really disappointed <laughs> that the yeah. whole entire year. So I'm really looking forward to the Black Widow movie. Because I do like Black Widow. I like Scarlett Johansson a lot. I think she's a great actor. I just hope they don't do anything to screw up the uh, timeline. X-Men was very sloppy about their continuity with their movies. It's just a big mess. I think Marvel's going to make sure to not do that. But I always have that little fear. Yeah. I I think Marvel's smarter than that. They're definitely a bigger company. Probably smarter. And I think X-Men just stopped caring. Yeah. We're being bought out in a few years. Yeah, right. Oh, no, the Loki TV show doesn't come out till 2020. Damn it. <laughs> Way to be disappointing, Brayden. <laughs> Maybe it's much worse. It's going to be so long until you get a good Marvel movie after Far From Home. Better, we better enjoy it. Better be a great movie. That's uh, Tom. And it's not going to be about Loki disappearing with the Tesseract from 2012. Apparently... Like, they want to focus on the Loki in our main timeline. It's about, and apparently the TV show is going to be how Loki influences world events. So, which I think that's kind of smart because you don't, because that's stuff that's already happened. And if you run into, and uh, maybe not, but if you possibly do Loki with the uh, kind of running off with the test rock, that may confuse people. Whether if it's our timeline, another timeline, what he's doing. Yeah, it just causes much more confusion. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Loki causing world events. Loki did 9-11. Oh, no. We're not going to get to that now. <laughs> no, but it will be interesting to see. Marvel also has to be careful not to be controversial here, but I think they'll be smart. Yeah, I trust them. I definitely trust them. I hope they move some of the other successful TV shows as well, so just like Cloak and Dagger from the X-Men. I hope they kind of move them to Disney Plus as well, because I, I really love that uh, everything, Everything that Disney now owns is going on Disney Plus. Like, they own Fox now, so all the Fox shows go on Disney Plus. I know Cloak and Dagger's ABC. I don't know if they own ABC. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is ABC as well, but it's a Marvel show. In yeah. the MCU, so well, I think Cloak and Dagger's in the MCU as well, so it might be maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I, I love that show. It's a great show. <laughs> I'll see, and I'm also excited about the Winter Soldier Falcon Captain America show. That'll be interesting. And apparently, Zemo is, or at least it's not confirmed, but Zemo is going to be the bad guy in the first season of that TV show, which cool. actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Because he's not dead after Civil War. He's in prison. I think I re- Civil War is honestly my favorite movie of all time. I, I like it a little more than any game in Infinity War. I really like the feel. I like that the villain essentially won. And yeah, Zemo's story is not done. So I'd love to see them pick up on that. Yeah, that'd be really cool. 
I'm really, and they also have that uh, vision and uh, and um, Wanda um, Wanda movie coming out as well, which should be very very fun. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that because you know visions visions. I guess you could say. I mean, he's definitely dead now, but you know, he gone. But it's gonna be interesting to see vision actually being looked on more as a human. I guess than what he was in the past. I really didn't have much emotional attachment to vision when he died. Um, yeah. I don't know if this show's going to change that or not. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Disney has a lot coming out, but until May, they don't have a lot coming out. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. It's a sad day. <laughs> it is. So enjoy Spider-Man. I know I will. I'll probably see that a few times. I'm hoping Endgame beats Avatar and... I think that's all we got for today. Yes, uh, I think I think we covered everything we wanted to, at least. Yep, we'll try and get this out on a more weekly basis. Look for an, look for episodes to drop every week. Check us out on Apple Play, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Sandbox, wherever you listen to your podcast. It is probably on there. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh oh yeah, follow us on Instagram if you haven't. If you most of us most of you are probably listening to us on Instagram, but if you haven't, follow me at Tailgate Bengals or Tailgate.bengals and then follow Braden at Bengals underscore NFL. That's all. All right. Good day and thanks for listening. Thank you, guys.